This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. When Princeton professor Anne-Marie Slaughter published an essay in The Atlantic titled Why Women Still Can't Have It All in July 2012, she touched a nerve across generations and set off a renewed public debate on women's progress and work-life balance. In an interview with Stuart Friedman, director of the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project, Slaughter shares what it was like to draw back the curtain on her life as someone perceived to have it all and suggests how companies can make life better for both women and men. Hi, I'm Stu Friedman from the management department at the Wharton School, and I'm here today speaking with Anne-Marie Slaughter, who is a professor of politics and international affairs at Princeton, and who wrote the earth-shattering article in The Atlantic last year, uh, Why Women Still Can't Have It All. And we're here to speak with Anne-Marie today about that. Welcome, Anne-Marie. Thank you. My pleasure. It's great to have you here. Let's start by uh, a little bit of background on that article and what spurred it. What was was there a critical experience in your in your life or in your work that propelled you to write that piece? I would say somewhere over the in the two years that I spent in Washington, as it became harder and harder to be working in D.C. with my kids back in Princeton, I really did feel this sort of ground shifting under my feet as I started thinking, you know, I've always believed you could make this work, work and family, but this isn't working. And so I started thinking about, you know, writing something about that. And then I thought, well, no, you know, this is just me. It's just now. And so probably the event that crystallized it was coming back to Princeton and starting to give talks just to students. And they weren't prepared talks. They were just kind of, what was it like in Washington? And I would start to, to, a lot would start to spill out about how hard it was. And it was those students, and then later as I wrote in the article, wrote an audience of young Rhodes Scholars who kept saying, you have to write this. And that made me decide this is going to be difficult. It's hard for me to write. It may be controversial. But really, for this next generation, I need to write this and we need to have this conversation. So so the impetus really was to to share your story with the next generation. Yes. And, and, and what was your, your hope, your intent? Or what were they asking for? Why was they, wa- <laughs> they wanted... They wanted to open up the conversation around work and family, and they wanted to hear more than what I and so many of my peers have been had been telling them, which is, you can do it. You know, our standard mm-hmm. response had been, you can do it, it's hard, but you can make it work. And that is, of course, true for some number of women, and that is has been true of me as long as I stay in a more flexible job. And I did make it work for two years in Washington. I just mm-hmm. couldn't make it work for four, much less eight. But these younger women and men, I think in some ways are the first generation who've watched a whole generation of working men and women ahead of them, because I didn't see working women. I'm of the generation where I was still first. These young men and women, whether it's their own parents or others, have seen it and they don't like what they see Mm. or they're scared of what they see Mm. or at the very least they think, 
you know, what people tell me and the reality I'm seeing just isn't meshing. So there mm-hmm. is a hunger to open this topic back up, whereas many women of my generation told me after this article came out, well, you know, that's fine, but it wasn't exactly news, right? You right. Know? right. It was like, right. we knew this. Why this is it? You know, we've been living this. We've been we've written these things before. Mm. You could have written this 20 years ago. It wouldn't have been any different. So every generation has to find it for themselves. So what, what was the news, if I can follow on that? last point. What was it that, what chord was struck? I mean, why do you think it had such a a broad effect and readership? Well, I think it, I think the first thing is I did catch, again, this generational wave. Mm -hmm. And I think many younger women who had been saying to each other, I don't want to be in a workplace and never see my children. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have two nannies if that's what it takes. I want something different. Those women had been talking to each other, but it wasn't getting, it wasn't registering in the larger conversation. They sent my article to their mothers, sisters, aunts, mentors, mm-hmm. every woman, I think, uh, who they had talked to as well as to each other. So I think that's uh, a large part of it. Mm-hmm. But I also think, you know, I was drawing aside the curtain. I did know that I was mm-hmm. doing this. I, I I have been enormously successful and very fortunate, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been able to have great jobs. And so from the outside, I think it looked exactly like, sure, you can have it all. You mm-hmm. know, I have two kids and a husband and great some great jobs. And the fact that I was saying, you know what, actually, mm-hmm. this didn't work the way I expected it to. Actually, I'm having to not continue in a job that I would have loved to continue in because my kids are at home and, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's more important. I think it, it kind of ripped aside the um, the perfect facade. And I know mm-hmm. many women wrote me with profound relief because even the sure. women who are making it work and the men, it's hard. You're feeling it. Right. They're feeling it. Mm-hmm. And they were feeling like that was their fault, you know, that something mm-hmm. must be wrong with them. They weren't organized enough or there, something was wrong with their mm-hmm. parenting or something. And I was basically saying, you know what, this is really hard. And a mm-hmm. lot of people are not actually able to make it. So a lot of people are stepping out. And that means we don't have an, that's the major explanation in my view as to why we don't have enough women at the top. You said that you became aware that the the feminist beliefs on which you'd built your career were shifting under your feet. So were those beliefs wrong, or were women of, of our generation sold a bill of goods by early feminists, or have attitudes changed, the world's changed? What, what, what yeah, shifted? It's interesting. I've, I've had to think really hard myself about what I meant. I certainly didn't mean that feminism sold us a bill of goods. Feminism mm-hmm. is responsible, and as far as I'm concerned, for the life that I have. I am in total debt to the women uh, and the men who were a generation ahead of me who broke barriers and allowed me to dream of a career and then have one. Mm-hmm. But along the way, it never occurred to me as somebody, as a self-proclaimed career woman, feminist, however you want to see it, Mm -hmm. it just never occurred to me that I would end up in a situation where I'd make the choice I made. And Mm -hmm. that's what shifted. It was... To leave Washington. Yeah. And the way I think of the choice is I'd been there for two years. I always knew that after two years, my public service leave would end and that I would, would go home. But then... I succeeded well enough to be considered for promotion. And Mm. that was the point at which I thought, 
you know, the old me would have said, well, of course you'll make it work. I mean, mm. this is just – you have a dream job and that's even more of a dream job. And generally, you, if your party's in power and you have an opportunity, you take it because you sure. can never promise that will come again. Mm-hmm. And I – when it came down to it, as it was hard. But I knew the right thing to do was to go home. And that – is not something I had been taught to expect of myself. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's the flip of the 1950s mm-hmm. stereotype where the woman, of course, is going to you know mm-hmm. choose her, her children and put her family first. I just thought, no, I'm a different kind of woman, and I, or parent, or person, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. just a woman, and I, I will make it work. But when it came down to it, I realized, you know what? There's actually something more important, and as mm-hmm. you know, ambitious as I am, as dedicated to my career, I'm actually a different person than I thought I was. Hmm. So your thinking had evolved in, in light of the, the the zeitgeist of beliefs about what men, men or, or women yeah. could possibly do. Yeah, it's hard to explain fully, but it was, it was exactly, you know, I think the best way to explain it is I just read an article about how we always look back and we know we've changed a lot. If I think of who I was at 20 or 30 mm-hmm. or 40, I know I've changed a lot. Mm-hmm. But when I look forward, I assume I'll be the same person at 60 or 70 or 80. Mm-hmm. And yet, in fact, of course, we'll change. And so right. it was an evolution. It was a growth, but it was one I never would have expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've said that there are several half-truths that, that women hold you, and you write about this in the piece, uh, that it's possible to have it all if you're just committed enough, if you marry the right person, if you sequence, sequence it right. What did you mean by half-truths? Well, exactly that. They are true, but not enough. I mean, they're, they're, it is certainly true that if you want to succeed, you have to be committed. You have to work very hard. I mean, Sheryl Sandberg's arguments are right, I think, in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. But that's not enough. And it's also certainly true that it may be necessary to marry the right person. I think it is. But it's not always sufficient. It makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. Mm-hmm. If you don't marry the right person, you may never get out of the starting gate. But even with a fully supportive spouse. And, that, and I have a wonderful husband who is completely, you know, an equal partner, more than an equal partner. Even so, you know, you hit situations where both of you need to be there or you feel you need to be there. Uh, And the sequencing, it could be right in the sense that if we restructured society in the workplace, I think it would be quite possible to sequence. But right now, Mm -hmm. what so many women have found is if they opt out of the workplace for something, they might think it's five years, eight years they can't go back or they can't go back in the same way. It's not that they won't get a job necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's not as if they pick up as, you know, that associate who was heading toward partner or, mm-hmm. you know, that untenured faculty member who was heading toward tenure. They're in a very different the world. The paths are the ba- the constricted paths, yes, or different. Very, very. Mm. So they're half-truths, but they're things we cling to because we want to believe if we just do this, it'll work. Mm. And that's not enough. So what can businesses do to be supporting employees to, to be able to live the lives that, that, that matter to them and still contribute productively to the economic engines of progress in our society and businesses specifically? Um, what thoughts do you have about that? What have you been discovering about that as you've really taken up the, the charge in this in this arena this last year? Well, there – I mean, there are – their whole programs. The one that I think is the most interesting is the results-only workplace environment mm-hmm. or row, where mm-hmm. you effectively tell your employees, here's what you have to do. 
here's the date by which you have to do it, here's the quality that it has to attain, and it's really up to you when you get it done and how you get it done and where you get it done, mm-hmm. uh, which is a radical uh, change. It's not flex time. It's no time. It's right. your time. Your time. Um, there are there are programs like that, and mm-hmm. they're being implemented in some very surprising places, including some very big corporations. I actually think the most important thing is what I call the culture of the presumptive yes, which is you are completely open to experimentation and you let mm. your own employees figure out either to, uh, singly or more likely as teams what they need to make it work. Mm. And then you experiment. And some of those experiments will not work. You know, mm. a job share really may not work. A certain kind of flexible arrangement may not work. Mm. But you're willing to try. And it's like any innovation, you know, small steps, small mm. bets. You you keep trying and you see what works. And when it works, then you expand it. So. I think the the biggest barrier in the workplace is women are afraid to ask, and mm-hmm, men, mm-hmm. parents are, or caregivers, are afraid to ask because they're afraid they'll be told no, but worse still, they're afraid that they will look like they're not so committed to their career, so the very asking will be a black spot. So right. they don't ask, so mm-hmm. nothing changes. Uh, and if the management said, hey, you, let's try, let's try, you tell me what you need, and let's give it a try. And if it doesn't work, I promise you I will say it's not working. we got to do something else. Mm-hmm. But, hey, maybe it will. And those small steps then engender a greater sense of confidence Absolutely. and competence in being able to produce further changes. Yes. And, and, yes. Uh, and so it goes. Absolutely. Uh, experimentation. Um, so thinking about what we do here at the Wharton School uh, and other business schools, what thoughts do you have about what we ought to be doing to foster progress? Well, in the first place, I think the idea that if anybody in any student in that classroom who would like to reproduce, (laughs) (laughs) let's just put it that Uh way, wants to have children or uh, imagines that they're going to want to have time for their family, everybody needs to think of it as an equal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that is an ethos that. I think we are starting to see among many of our younger men mm-hmm. that it isn't this idea that, well, you know, that's the person at home's domain, mm-hmm. presumably a wife, of, uh, but rather this is my responsibility. How am I going to fit my career around it? Because mm-hmm. if we get men and women thinking that way, or women and men, I should say, that changes the dynamic a great deal. And of course, then young men start asking questions of employers as well, and that that makes a big change. But I think there's even something deeper, and I've thought about this even at the undergraduate level. Mm -hmm. We are seeing kids who are more programmed and more accomplished than Mm -hmm. ever before. Mm -hmm. They don't have a spare minute. I have a 16-year-old son, and at 16, he has little time. And if you look at my freshmen and sophomores at Princeton, they are scheduled to the minute. And I'm sure at Wharton, it's even greater. You cannot reward cramming every minute of your time. Mm all the way through high school, all the way through college, all the way through graduate school, the early parts of the workplace, and then say, oh, but now, actually, family's really important. I mean, mm-hmm. that, we have to start putting our money where our mouths are. We really have to start saying, we think it's important to take time now. 
as mm-hmm. students, mm-hmm. as faculty. We think that hour that you have coffee with a friend is more important than cramming in one more thing on your resume. We think calling home or we think taking time. And I don't mean volunteering and doing mm-hmm. good works. I mean <laughs> cultivating human connection with those you love. Be, mm-hmm. And at this, you know, as students, it's mostly fr- it's friends. Sure. But I've heard students say, you know, I have to schedule in my friends. I don't have time for my friends. Mm. Well, later, that's going to be I don't have time for my kids. And mm-hmm. that's what, again, fosters this binary choice. So I think we've got a lot of work to do as educational institutions. Indeed. Um, I couldn't agree more. Well, what do you think we should be telling our kids about what they can expect in, in their work lives? Well, one thing I, I think we tell them, the, the future work is changing, right? Mm-hmm. Work over their lifetimes, first place, they'll hold many different jobs. But work itself will be done in pretty radically different ways, mm-hmm. uh, it, different kinds of knowledge work, different kinds of teamwork, uh, different kinds of techn- technologically enabled work. So what I want to tell them is, and as part of that, less is more. A lot of it's creative work. You Mm -hmm. will not be able to succeed creatively unless you give yourself downtime, unless you – it's not just downtime. It's different time. You need to do different things. You need to talk to – cultivate different relationships. And you should – as you think about the changing nature of work, you should be thinking about a very different notion of the place of family as part of that changing nature and that you will be happier, you will be more productive, you will be, you will work longer and live longer, your mm-hmm. children will be happier, and our society will be more competitive. And so I don't like thinking about it just in terms of work family. Mm-hmm. And you taught, you yourself actually taught me to stop saying work life because mm-hmm. work is part of life and mm-hmm. that doesn't work. I prefer to think of it as who are the, who do we want to be as breadwinners, caregivers, human beings, mm-hmm. professionals. So as you think to the future about the next generation, which, which clearly is your, your motivating force behind this work, um, where, does, where does the brunt of responsibility lie? Is it at the individual level? Is it, is it institutions, uh, social policy, public policy? Uh, where, where does the real action have to, have to come in order to see the kinds of changes that you're envisioning? I think at all those levels. I really do. I do think every individual can be part of this change. And part of the reason I'm writing a book is both to tell the stories of men and women have written to me and to mm. showcase solutions, but also to say to people, if you want to be part of this change, you know, here's what you can do for men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think government is going to have to do some big things. It, it just has to. If you look at the societies that make this work, mm-hmm. it isn't an opt-in situation. You know, there are certain – we're going to have to move toward paid family leave. We're going to have to have paid family mm-hmm. leave. And, you know, yes, I understand that business says that's an encumbrance. But, you know, back in – the early part of the 19th century, they thought restrictions on workdays, period, were an encumbrance, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, so we're going to have to have some really important signals from the top, from government. But I wouldn't wait for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would work for it, but I wouldn't wait for it. And the, so the in-between is the workplace. Mm-hmm. And there, I think, a lot of the experimentation must take place. The places that are are doing this kind of experimentation have a better chance of retention. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think leaders, and again, this is work you've done that I've read, I mean, thinking about total leadership, thinking about what makes you a good worker mm -hmm. or a good leader, a good professional. So workplaces are going to have to change things like, you know, schedules and time in the office, but they're going to have to change cultures. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, good CEOs are always about, I think many of the best are about the culture. And mm -hmm. the culture now has to focus on, it essentially has to say, you were here all night mm -hmm. for, you know, two months. You, you're either not managing your time well, and you must be a very unidimensional person. So, hmm. you know, that's not what we want to reward. We want to reward the quality of your work, but we also want to reward somebody who is, you know, able to relate to others, to manage well, to understand to manage well that people need time, mm -hmm. not they're not mm -hmm. just automatons, all those things. Changing culture is a, a, a slog, right? It takes <laughs> a long time, uh, especially deeply entrenched attitudes and values and expectations, uh, the kinds of things that you're talking about. So uh, as we're wrapping up here, and, and what is it that you'd want to uh, kind of convey to boil it down to, as, to, the, to the viewers in terms of what they can be doing now? We can all be a part of, of uh, progressive change in this area. What, what's the most important thing for people to be thinking about it and doing? So I think the first thing is for, for all of us, it's to own what we want. That not what we think we should want, mm -hmm. not what, you know, mm -hmm. our, our parents expect and, or society or any of that. Own what we want and recognize that if we want both a profession and the power and dignity of a profession and the love of family and however family is constructed, that is entirely legitimate and actually we will be better for it as our society will be. So that's the first thing. And the second is to have the courage to both talk about it mm -hmm. and ask for change. Mm -hmm. The worst that can happen is somebody will say no. But I think part of what my article demonstrated was there were a whole lot of people who were thinking about like this. And you yes. know, if you thought you were alone, no, the woman next to you and the man next to you, they were thinking about it too. So have the courage to say, I'm going to ask. And even mm -hmm. if they say no, and even if they think a little less well of me, well, you know, that's not what I'm judged on. I'm judged on the quality of my work, and I'm going to keep working. So you're no worse off, and you may be much better off. Mm -hmm. And then I think if you are in management, you have – you should be willing to get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So many people tell me all the time, well – you know, I, I'm just uncomfortable with a job share or, mm -hmm. well, that goes against the idea. What are other people going to think if this woman has a different arrangement and that man, you know, comes in mm -hmm. only four days a week? So get out of your comfort zone. That's what change takes. Try it. Mm -hmm. And I think you may be agreeably surprised. Uh, and I think it may it may lead. To, and then it's a then it's a it's a long, slow process, but it's a virtuous circle. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.